Hear now this reading from Matthew's Gospel, the 15th chapter. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard you saying this? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They're blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both are going to fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled into the sewer? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands, that doesn't defile anyone. This is the word of the Lord. My grandma, I love her to death. Don't get me wrong, I love her more than she will ever know. However, I have not ridden in a car with that woman since that horrific day. I was 14 years old, not quite old enough yet to drive on my own, but plenty old enough to understand the dangers of riding with someone who is so preoccupied with everything going on inside the car that they don't see anything going on outside of the car. See, the day didn't start out that badly. I don't even remember why I was at her house that day. It was an unusual thing. But I, I remember that my grandma and I needed to go less than two miles down the road to the Ingalls grocery store to get some things to make sandwiches with for lunch. It seemed so simple. Two stop signs, one caution light between us and the safety of a parking lot. My grandma didn't learn how to drive until my grandpa died in 1989. She was well into her 70s by that point. Up until that point, he had always just dropped her off wherever she needed to go, and that worked out just fine for them. They just had one car, one person that could drive. Life went on as normal. But when he died, she decided that she needed to get her license to maintain her independence. Nothing stops my grandma. Those poor DMV workers didn't make enough money the days that she came to take her multiple driving tests. But nothing stops my grandma. And after thoroughly completing a test with each administrator there, she finally walked into that place one day, and they just passed her. <laughs> Not long after that, my grandma decided that the old Pontiac Sunbird that she had just wasn't good enough. It wouldn't go fast enough for her. So she sold it, and she bought a brand-new Pontiac Grand Am. It was the Sport Edition. She had this thing specially ordered. And we couldn't figure out why. Because at that time, they were all over the road. They were all over dealerships. You couldn't go to a dealership and not have any choice you wanted. Finally, Dad asked her why she didn't just pick one off the lot. Her response? Not one of them there had a big enough engine. And she smiled. And we got really worried. See, my grandma controls how fast the, the car would go by putting the pressure all the way on the brake and then putting almost all the pressure on the gas and easing off of the brake, but not enough to make the brake light ever go off. <laughs> She'd burn through brake pads and tires so, so fast. 
But to make sure that she kept her independent, she was overly concerned with the safety of operating a vehicle, and she didn't want to get in a wreck, so she was very, very meticulous about her checklist before she would leave the driveway. You'd think she was getting ready to take off in an airplane with this checklist. She would actually go through it, and she would speak it out as she did it. Rear view mirror, check. Side view mirrors, check. Radio at a safe level, check. That one day, that horrific day, I got in the car with her and she went through that checklist. And after she'd gone through that checklist, she squalled the tires out of the driveway. I clung on to whatever I could for dear life. Grandma was on the road. We made it through both stop signs unscathed, but a terrible, terrible thing happened at that traffic light. Right, I could see the parking lot. We were that close. As we were in the middle of the intersection... Grandma remembered one thing that she had forgotten on that checklist before she left the driveway. Fastening her seatbelt. Any guesses as to what she did? Right there in the middle of the intersection, she stopped, put the car in park, turned off the key, pulled the key out of the ignition, fastened her seatbelt, and turned to me and said, Josh, make sure you always remember to put your seatbelt on. You never know what kind of crazy drivers are going to be out there not paying attention. <laughs> and as she fastened that seatbelt, I don't know if I was in the floorboard, if I was in the back seat, if I was hanging on to the roof of the car. I don't even know. I was all over the place. Cars sped by us. They honked their horns at us. And I'm thinking, I just don't want to be here. I understand why those DMV workers gave her her license that day. We made it to Ingalls and back home that day, but I never recovered, and I still don't like riding in a car that I'm not driving. <laughs> she was so focused on operating her flashy new Grand Am with the big engine properly and doing it safely that she was quite possibly the most dangerous person on the road in Spartanburg for over 20 years. That horrific day, I tried everything I could while we were in the middle of that intersection to explain to my grandma, we have got bigger problems than an unfastened seatbelt. Jesus had a crowd of people around him. He had even attracted the, the concern of the Pharisees. They were there listening to everything he had to say. And for whatever reason, Jesus decided that it would be a good idea that day to tell the crowd that it didn't really matter if the people washed their hands before they ate or not. Whether you eat with clean hands or not, Jesus says, the food's going to eventually make its way into the sewer. Clean hands or not. I would have loved to have been a face in that crowd the day that Jesus said this in front of those Pharisees, just to see the faces of the Pharisees. You see, this had deeper implications than Jesus just saying you don't have to wash up before dinner. When the Pharisees heard him say this, they understood it, that if Jesus believes that you don't have to do this, it's not a far cry before you don't have to do a bunch of the other stuff that they had always done. And in the Pharisees' mind, Jesus had found this one string on the edge of the rug that when pulled would cause the whole rug to come unraveled. But what Jesus was seeing was that this one string that the Pharisees had spent so much time caring for and making sure it didn't get messed up was really just the ugly twine that was being used to bind up this beautiful rug until it got to where it needed to be. Jesus could see that the people were starting to lose focus on the ornate tapestry of faith and life that God had given to them. Instead, they were spending all of their time trying to protect and value the small things 
that actually kept the beauty of the faith from being seen by everyone else. The people protecting the faith couldn't even see how beautiful the faith they were protecting was anymore. Does this sound like anything that Christians today have been accused of? It's interesting to me the way that people who aren't Christians view Christianity. A lot of the time we wonder why people who aren't Christians aren't Christians. Why they don't follow Jesus Christ. And as we wonder why they don't, those same folks wonder why we'd want to. And who can blame them? As humans, we tend to be attracted to negativity. We may not like it, but we all recognize negative things when they happen. Just look at the news. Just think of the last sporting event you went to. How many times have you gone to a sporting event and you've just encouraged that referee or the umpire for that great call they made? How many times have you gone to a sporting event and you can remember that one person in the stands that just can't stop talking about how many bad calls that umpire made? You can remember that person. That person stands out very, very well. It's like that in life, too. As long as things are going the way that they should be, as long as things are good, as long as things are positive, we don't tend to notice them. They just blend in. They don't stick out to us. But when one bad thing happens, we notice it. And then when we tell others about it, we seem to make it as bad as we possibly can because for whatever reason, people tend to respond well to that. They like to hear that. And all of a sudden, they forget about all the good that happened. I have a friend that I've used in a sermon before as an illustration, and I'll probably keep on using him because he's just really good at helping me to remember why it's so important to stay focused on the big things rather than staying so focused on the small things that we forget why we're Christians to begin with. See, Kyle's one of my good friends from college. We share a love of cars and technology and music. We just get along well together. He was one of the groomsmen in my wedding. I even drove his Corvette away from our wedding. We're close. And I asked him one time why he doesn't go to church. And his response was that he didn't want to be like the people at church. Over time, as I learned more about Kyle and his family, I discovered that there were numerous reasons why he may have felt that way. See, his parents are divorced. He doesn't wear church clothes. I'm pretty sure before he got a real job, he didn't even own church clothes. When I asked him to be a groomsman at my wedding, I halfway expected him to say, can I wear my blue jeans with rips in them or do I have to wear a tuxedo? He listens to heavy metal bands. There's more things that I could tell you. I'm probably not going to, but these reasons alone are enough for many Christians to look at Kyle and kind of raise an eyebrow and think, yeah, maybe not him in our church. And you know what? Somewhere along the way, that's what he experienced. And so Kyle doesn't go to church. In his mind and in his heart, he has no use for religion. Those people that he encountered as a child growing up helped to form his view of religion. His view of Christianity. Why would he want to be anything like those people? Never mind he's probably met Christians that were really nice to him. But he remembered those one or two or three experiences that he had as a child. And those followers of Christ that he encountered were so busy spending all of their time trying to protect and value the small things that they actually kept the beauty of the faith and the life from Kyle. The people protecting the faith couldn't even see how beautiful it was anymore. In Kyle's eyes, Christians have bigger problems than dirty hands when they go to eat. Jesus wanted his followers to know how important it is to keep the big picture in mind. 
If we do that, the small things are going to take care of themselves. If we keep the love of God in the forefront of everything that we do, we might just find that we're happier too. How many of you know of someone who spends almost every waking hour of their life complaining about a particular group of people? Or they spend every waking moment of their life trying to find that perfect article on Facebook that they can put on their status just to anger a particular group of people? How happy are those people? Are they people you really want to spend a lot of time with? Or do you find that when you spend time with those people, you end up kind of getting a little bit angry, aggravated? annoyed it's just not good and you see if we start acting like that too are we causing people to forget all of the good that they've encountered from other christians see it doesn't take long before people realize there are things that are more important in this person's life who calls himself a christian than jesus christ what picture of christ are we living for others John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, had three general rules that he wanted his preachers, but the ministers in the church, all of y'all, to follow. Do good. Do no harm. And attend to the ordinances of God. Keep your relationship with God strong. This isn't anything new. This is a concept that was around long before John Wesley. This is exactly what Jesus was telling the crowd this day. Folks, do good. Stay focused on the big picture. Know that you are loved by God. And go and love other people in God's name. And if you see evil in the world, do some good. Get rid of it. Do good. The second rule, do no harm. There's already enough in the world that isn't the way that it should be. Don't add to it. If you don't know how to make it better, go find somebody that does. Show them what to do so they can do some good. Don't add fuel to the fire. Do no harm. And finally, you can't help others come into a relationship with God if your relationship with God isn't going so well. Go to church. Worship with the community of faith. Read. Read the Bible. That's important. Pray. Pray often. Nurture your relationship with God. Nurture your relationship with God. With God. And if we as Christians did these three things more often and did a little less of the complaining and the excluding and the gossiping, what do you think this community around here might look like? And if we as Christians in general around the world did that a little more, just imagine what the world might look like. See, what do you think the world might look like if this happened? Do you think that? There'd be as many cows on the outside of the walls of the church looking in with skeptical eyes? Or do you think there'd be more, wall, more cows on the outside of the walls of the church trying to bring new people in because of the love that they had experienced that transformed their life and they're wanting to share that love with other people that their lives might be transformed too? See, Jesus wasn't telling the people that the particulars of religion don't matter. He was telling them that they shouldn't matter more than the religion itself. They shouldn't matter more than the love of God. See, the piece of twine that holds the rug safely from the dirt or whatever else may harm it shouldn't become more important than the rug itself. Whatever the small things are in our lives that we end up focusing on to protect our family or our friends or even our church shouldn't ever become more important than the mission to which God has called each and every one of us to go out into the world and to make disciples 
for Jesus Christ. To create a situation where we can bring people into a relationship with God. Where we can lead them to the love that we have been shown. So I want you to focus on two questions this week. The first, what is it that I keep doing that's keeping me or someone else from experiencing a deep, loving relationship with God? What is it that I am doing that's keeping me or somebody else from experiencing a deep, loving relationship with God? All of us have something that we do that we may or may not even realize is a turnoff for other people when they look at Christians. Examine yourself this week. It's okay to do that. If we find that we're not perfect, guess what? We're all that way. We just got to try to do a little better. And think, as you examine yourself, if I weren't a follower of Jesus, and if I saw a person living just like I do, would I want to be like them? Would I want to have in my heart what they have in theirs? Am I showing other people Jesus? The second question, what can I do that will keep me focused on the big picture of showing people God's love? What can I do that will keep me focused on the big picture of showing other people God's love? This isn't just something that's nice to talk about. This is the mission of our lives. We don't just talk about it. We live it. Jesus didn't just talk to the crowds about what it means to love a neighbor. He loved them. He ate with them. He gave them dignity. He gave them respect. He gave people life. And he gave it to them abundantly. What are we going to do to reflect that? Amen.